eagle has landed. Welcome to tonight's show. Welcome to Narrative Live on a Tuesday. It's the countdown. Hey, Noel Kassler, it's nice to have you back on the show. Hey, Zev, good to be here, man. I got to say, before we get going on anything else, I had a chance to listen to your podcast, and it is friggin' amazing. It's so, so damn good. Everyone needs to check out the Noel Kassler podcast. It's hilarious. It's, it's just uh, you unspun for like 30 minutes of just great stuff. It's just uh, amazing. Really good value. And everyone needs to download it, absorb it, get as much of it as you can, because Noel Kassler is on his way up. You're having a moment, I think, Noel. I believe. Well, thank you. Thank you, Zav. You're too kind. It's kind to say that well, about the podcast. It's all, of, it. it's all of the truth here. Uh, we it. have uh, such a busy show tonight because there's all this breaking news regarding Donald Trump. Finally, a grand jury in, you know, convened. I guess that's a term. Is it the yeah. term? Yeah. I, I, I'm going to say, everyone's getting very excited. I feel, I feel like I've been excited before and I'm not sure I want to jump into that excited phase yet because we've been promised a lot of this in the past and it's never... It's never really been anything. So, especially with Vance, I'm not sure I 100% trust him. It looks like indict indictments will be coming. I'd say that's probably reasonable as a, as a assumption, but that doesn't necessarily mean anyone's going to jail. Uh, he's not going to jail, Zeb. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that guy's never going to do a day in jail. I'm sorry to disappoint anybody. He's 75 in two weeks. Like, he can drag this out until you know, he's 80 and then just skip the country. And I share your, I know everybody's really excited. And obviously, and, and there's talk that there's other you know, grand juries that have already been convened so but i share your hesitancy because obviously they'll probably decide to bring charge but this charges but this grand jury meets three days a week for six months now, so everyone's <laughs> acting like he's going to get hauled out in handcuffs they're not even going to make a decision until november you know and six we so know yet if weisselberg is actually going to flip everyone's making that assumption too there's no good reason for weisselberg to really flip if flipping he's not going to flip i don't see him no. you know him by the way if you met him I, I don't, I've been in the room with him. I've never had a conversation with yeah. him. And I've been in the room with him at, at the apprentice kind of thing. Oh, they would have the executives down in the audience. He was actually on the apprentice. I know he was, yeah. I don't remember him, but I remember people told right. me that he was, he was, why did they take him off? Was he just too dull and not exciting? Or yeah. He make space it, for Donald. Well, that other guy got fired too. There was another guy who became really popular. He was one of Donald's executives and they, they yanked him off. He was the old guy with the white hair. I forget his name, George, I think it was. Right. right. But, but back to your earlier point about Weisselberg, the guy's a mob accountant. He's been working for Trump for 50 years. It's not the first time that like there's been some malfeasance and some cheating on the books and all this kind of thing. I think as you've covered here, he knows who Trump's laundering money for. So it's not like he's afraid of Donald Trump. He's got a bigger, he's got more motivation to protect his family by taking the rap or taking the fifth or fighting it out in court himself for years to come than flipping on Donald Trump. I just don't see that happen. This is like a second in command at the Trump organization, starting with Fred Trump. They must have had this conversation, maybe. Do you think they've had this conversation? If this ever goes yeah. down, none of us flip, right? That's the deal. They must have had uh, that, that conversation. Those are the guys you hire. You think Fred Trump hired a guy as his chief accountant, basically the guy in charge of all his books and all his money, who was going to flip on him? Fred Trump was building for the Genovese crime family right. in the 50s and 60s. Like, yeah. you only bring in people that you can trust. And Weisselberg is a made man in the Trump organization. So yeah. and I, I don't... His, the entire family, everything is based on there. The private education, the kids' yeah. salaries, everything. Their whole future, their names, everything. Absolutely. He's not going to need to necessarily flip, although they're trying very hard to convince people that he will. Yeah. We'll have time to talk about all of that later on. I know everyone's very excited about it. Andrew Laufer is going to join us in a, about... Uh, 20 minutes or so, 30 minutes. We'll talk about that. I'm so excited tonight because we have uh, Tara, I should say Wheeler. 
She's probably the smartest person that that I've ever met. I think she might be the smartest person, at least on paper, at least. Look at her. She's the she's the, a cyber project fellow at the Belfer Center for Science and International Affairs at Harvard University's Kennedy School of Government. Everyone, anyone who knows anything about, about Harvard University, you know it's great. You know also that the Kennedy School of Government is the school of government. She writes in foreign policy where she writes about cyber warfare, which is where I got to know her writing. And I was blown away by some of her interesting counter uh, arguments to, to the prevailing theories around cyber warfare. And uh, she also wrote the book called Women in Tech. And it's, a, it's an interesting book about how to take your career to the next level. Tara's from the <laughs> South. Are you from the South? I feel like that is You know, I have family from the South, but interestingly enough, I think, uh, so my mother actually had me on February 12th, which is Abraham Lincoln's birthday. And uh, I'm actually named for a, the Abraham and the Patriarch's father, Tara, but it's a feminized version of it. Oh. I went back and looked and found out that Tara means uh, goat watering station in Aramaic. So don't look for beauty there, but I'm here for it. Anyway, I think it was a lot of Demerol went into that decision by my mom. So that's really that's really a very good decision that she made. It's a good name. You made me feel like I wanted to be a woman in tech because women in tech are seem to be, I'm guessing because your book seems to be an accurate reflection, really nurturing, caring. Your whole book is so nice to read because it's all about getting people into the industry. It's encouraging. It's sweet. Where men in tech, I just feel are just like exactly the opposite, whatever. They're conniving and whatever. Is that accurate? Are there, is there a, a Venus and a Mars in, in the tech world? <laughs> I'm just imagining my husband right now listening to this. He'll get a chance to listen to it later. Uh, no, actually, my book is uh, pretty savage. Yeah, I'm busy talking about how the women that I know come out of just extraordinary backstories and lives. I've had I've had a lot of dads come to me to sign this book for their little girls, and I was like, "Have you had a chance to look in here? There's a lot of profanity, yeah, and but, we're talking about some people and stories that are just they're heartrending, but at the same time hopeful. I think, and the advice there is it's working for everybody, not just women. So, the stuff I do mostly salary negotiation, and I think you could find out from a lot of people that you don't want to be on the other side of that one. <laughs> I'm sure. But your approach in the writing, it is so nurturing and so caring. And I think that uh, is reflective of women. I mean, certainly all, all my favorite women, all my favorite bosses have been women. They've just been better to work for. They've been easier to work for. And they care more. Where men are just, and it's, it's, it seems for themselves, or they just don't want to seem like they care. Or I don't know, maybe it's a, it's just a little too much ego for them. I always wonder whether we're struggling in our world today because there are so many people that are men in the tech business. And it seemed, I can't remember the stat at the top of your book, but it was something like, it was a high number. Remind me again, it was 38% was the peak of women. And that was many years ago in the, in the tech yeah. industry. What's it, what is it today? It was uh, 1984 that uh, we peaked with women in the tech industry at 38%. Today, it's 11% and dropping. And it may not seem like it's dropping, but it actually is, as we see, especially over the course of the pandemic, how women were pulled offline from the high-profile jobs that they had, especially in technology that demands so much of your time, to do a lot more uh, in the way of a family and primary care. It's unfortunate, but I think that the perspective I like to come with is one that's compassionate. And compassion is a hard discipline. And I think that everybody women, men, anyone in this field can practice that and try to practice a little empathy. And empathy is not fluffy. It's not soft. It is a battle to try to see the world as other people do and put yourself in their shoes and really act like you are acting on behalf, not just of yourself, but of the people that you lead and are part of a team with. So 
I, I hope that we'll see some improvements in the future on this one. We're seeing some, certainly some good initiatives from the Biden administration on bringing more women into technology. We just had our first, I believe, uh, woman of color put in charge of the DOJ today, which is absolutely wonderful. No, that's interesting. That's good news. Yeah. I, I find they, it maybe has impacted our world in, in having so many men with so much power especially in Silicon Valley, has been maybe a bit problematic. I think there's a certain kind of libertarian thinking that has taken over all of Silicon Valley that is not judging libertarians, but I just feel like it's, it has overtaken that whole sector. And this, they have this sort of superpower or superhero sort of view of themselves, and they feel like they can change the world no matter what anyone thinks. I've seen that happen before. I, that, that sort of objectivist philosophy creeps into a lot of thinking. I, I was actually reflecting back on one of my favorite doorstop fantasy novel series. It's Terry Goodkin's The uh, Sword of Truth series. Mm-hmm. If you pretend that the whole thing ends at book six, you're better off with Faith of the Fallen, trust me. Mm-hmm. And I started to think back and realize how many of these epic fantasy stories have this central theme that tells a story of a hero and the objectives they overcome. It's the hero with a thousand faces like Joseph Campbell. Everyone mm-hmm. wants to be the center of their own myth and the problem is when they start buying their own mythology so yeah i mean especially with like people like elon musk i love that she gave a shout out to Kristen clark and joseph campbell in the same section that's awesome i knew you'd relate oh you talk about being the sort of the cyber warfare person with that foreign policy goes to i feel like we are sometimes in the middle of cyber war when we do these kinds of programs here you know we started on all of us as a group of us it started on the internet and on twitter we all met each other on twitter in trying to analyze what trump russia was all about and who trump trump's relationship with putin was and what you know what was the actual thing that was going on we think we figured it out first and we did it all through a crowdsourcing effort on twitter and out of that we've grown this little community and we do these shows what we've also found is that we are constantly at the at the whim or mercy or attack of foreign forces. Like it's not, we're just ordinary people living in our ordinary lives. But we, we come across people that are real operatives, real uh, real governments that are after us, people running like dirty campaigns against us or trying to uh, discredit us. And it's such a it's such an, a foreign thing for us to go through. And yet here we are just sitting on Twitter doing either either tweeting or doing live video. How serious is this information war? I feel like we're in the middle of a very consequential information war and that we're no one's really paying as much attention as maybe they should to it. And this is, is maybe the front line. But how serious do you think it is? I think it's more serious than most people want to acknowledge because we have enough to worry about right now, right? We're worried about whether or not the tax stimulus is going to show up in our bank accounts. We're worried about whether or not we can go back to work on time, about the economy. I know most of the people I know at this point are worried about secure housing because of the spike in in home prices. There's a lot of things to worry about, and it seems problematic to start worrying about an information war as well. To be frank, there's a pretty clear division between disinformation and actual hurting people in real life. You can actually hurt people with a computer. You can you can tamper with water supplies, power grids, the the logistics that get people food and medication. That's real impact on human beings. And there's also this side campaign happening in dis and misinformation. Mm. And it's devastating to experience either of those things. I think you've got a view into this now as somebody who's prominent on the internet. Yuzev can now see what it's like to be targeted by people who are, are trying to drown out truth and Mm. and facts and sources of real information and try to skew your perspective on the world. I I, I know something about what it's like to see that that onslaught of voices trying to convince you that something is is not real that is, or the other way around. Mm. And there's so much danger in just accepting what is placed in front of you is actual truth. 
and people do have to go and find sources for themselves. I, I know that a lot of the smart people that I know pick a, a weekly source of news and they make sure to read it just to make sure that they're catching real truth someplace, whether that's The Economist or New Scientist or any uh, reputable news source that's out there, especially if you can get one outside your country. Mm -hmm. It does help to really keep a perspective on how the world is working. But I, I do want to note that there's a difference between experiencing that as a privileged person on the internet, which I am respectfully, the, the people in this conversation right now yeah, that are yeah. here hanging out on the internet and, and jamming on cyber warfare, we're not always the ones who experience the devastating effects of it. Mm. And those attacks that, that we've seen start to build over time in 2017, especially, it was the real beginnings of when we saw cyber warfare starting to hurt people physically, hurt them with both NotPetya, the Russian attack on the Ukraine, and WannaCry, the North Korean attack on the United States, which overflowed into the National Health Services hospitals in the United Kingdom, shutting them down, hurting people, stopping them from getting cancer treatments, stopping emergency room admissions. That's real damage to real people, and it is happening on the internet. And right. we've got to, to draw a little bit of a line between a, an angry mob coming at me on Twitter and people who can't get their medication or admit oh, it. Oh, absolutely. And, and I want to draw that line. Two very yeah. important. Yeah. That's a really important distinction. Mm -hmm. And let's talk about the serious one. Let's talk about the hospitals and the gas supply lines that we've just recently experienced with Colonial. We'll talk about that right after this break. Now that summer is almost here and COVID is almost gone, this may be a good time to get some things off your to-do list, like maybe getting life insurance. You know, my mom is really good with finances and she's always telling me, what about life insurance? It's so important. And I can tell you that Policy Genius is a great place to get life insurance because you can compare quotes from over a dozen top insurers all in one place. Why compare? Well, you can save as much as 50% or more of life insurance by comparing those quotes, and you could save $1,300 or more per year on life insurance by using Policy Genius to compare those policies for you. The licensed experts at Policy Genius work for you, not the insurance companies, so you can trust them to help you navigate every step of the shopping and buying process. That kind of service has earned Policy Genius a five-star rating across thousands of reviews on Trustpilot and Google. This is how it works. Getting started is really easy. First, you head to policygenius.com, and in minutes, you can work out how much life insurance coverage you need and compare personalized quotes to find your best price. When you're ready to apply, the Policy Genius team will handle all the paperwork and scheduling for you. Policy Genius never sells your information to other companies, and that means you don't have to worry about your privacy, and they don't add extra fees. Policy Genius. Head to policygenius.com to get started right now. Policy Genius. When it comes to insurance, it's nice to get it. And right. we're back with Tara Wheeler. We had during COVID as well. I think some of the hospitals went down because people couldn't access uh, their records because their their mainframe databases went down. I'm not sure who was responsible for that uh, attack. Maybe you do, but it does feel like we do know who was responsible for Colonial. You know, it's this. It's supposedly this gang uh, that's run out of Russia. Now they've been shut down, probably by America, but who knows? And they got five million dollars from the from Colonial which is a lot of money for any company to pay just to get the gas supply up. And meanwhile, there was a real disruption. Most people, most analysts, and maybe you'll tell us if you agree, say that there's no way that came out of Russia without Putin having blessed it or at least um, allowed it to go on. The saying in my industry right at the moment is attribution is hard. It's mm -hmm. difficult to know who's behind a given attack. There are a lot of attacks that are appropriately attributed to Russia, and I can guarantee you right now that an appropriate attribution was the uh, NotPetya attack in 2017 that stopped about 40% of world shipping. 
it, it stopped Maersk dead in its tracks. Wow, I remember that. And for perspective, remember, we're all fascinated by the evergreen container ship that got stuck in the Suez Canal right. like a month ago. It stopped 12% of world shipping. For perspective, that was 27% of a not Petcha. And when we start thinking about what's interesting to look at on, on you know Instagram videos as opposed to what's actually happening in the world, that attack, that not Petcha attack is one that stopped prescription medication from getting to the right people. It Food rotting in container ships floating on the ocean, stuck, dead in the water, literally dead in the water. This is real and it's happening right now. And when we attribute that attack to Russia, when we attribute WannaCry to North Korea, we are sure after the kind of, as sure as you can be, after the kind of appropriate and thoughtful post-mortem and incident response reports that we do, that those are correct attributions. I'm hesitant to instantaneously assign attribution for something like Darkside in terms of state-sponsored actions until we get a chance to really think about it. And the reason why is I am really sick of people opining on the internet without having any basis for their facts. We need to have this shared history of what's going on because otherwise, Zev, while you're having these conversations, you can't look at, at a history of what's gone on in cyber warfare over the last 25 years. Right. You want to start, you could try with Jay Healy's book, uh, Fierce Domain, and and start looking at some of the work that's coming out now from the smart people that, that are really focused on providing this kind of shared history for what's been going on. And that's where you're going to find the, the best attribution we've got. But in fairness about Darkseid, you've got, mm-hmm. there's been tracking of $5 million being paid from Colonial to 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 the company in Bitcoin, to the gang in Bitcoin. And we know they operate out of Russia. We know that they screen out for Cyrillic uh, text. We know how Russia runs. Most people in Russia don't get to do very much with Without, uh, certainly not anything criminal without Putin knowing about it. You know, there's a there's at least a framework um, to suspect that it was Russia, even if it may have been for a different client, maybe it wasn't for the state per se, but maybe it certainly originated out of Russia and, and they would have known about it. That $4.4 million in Bitcoin is interesting. Now, I don't disagree with anything that you've said right now, but note, I want to go to something you just said. They screened for Cyrillic text. Mm-hmm. What that tells you is that you can aim a cyber weapon. All right. You can aim it. You can be selective on who it hits. And when we start having conversations about whether or not this was Russia or not, we know that it's possible to screen your targets. And what I'm concerned about are the hospital ransomware attacks that you've already brought up. Mm -hmm. Uh, Because what we know is that it's possible to screen targets. It's possible when you look at banners for networks that you're coming near. As an offensive security researcher, when I go look at a network, I get information just from a a network announcing itself. It says, hello, I run Epic Systems. Hello, I am from One Medical, right? You can see those words, those keywords, and you can screen for those just as easily as you can for Cyrillic. You can aim weapons. And carelessness in how those weapons get deployed is why we need to start having a conversation about these gangs, and especially state-sponsored or paid gangs, really being considered nation-state-level cyber attacks. And if they're nation-state-level cyber attacks that are spilling over purposefully or carelessly onto hospitals and onto civilians and hurting them, we need to have a conversation about whether or not that constitutes a cyber war crime. Absolutely. And if you take a look at the International Criminal Court under Rome Statute 8, you will find it right there. And hey, Andrew, how are you? Hey, Zev, how's it going? I am terrific. Thank you for joining us. This is Tara. I'm going to get it wrong. <laughs> Tara Wheeler and you, of course, Noel. Hey, Tara. Hey, you know, yeah. Andrew, good, let's good. talk about the news first. And, and then, although I was so interested in what you were just talking about, uh, let's finish what your thought was about that, uh, about what we need to do in terms of the gangs and the Russian gangs. Like, what kind of laws, war, international war crimes do you think we could be dealing with when you're dealing with cyber crimes like this? Sorry, I'll be right there with Andrew. I just want to Don't complete worry. that thought. 
Sure, absolutely. So when we talk about the concept of a cyber war crime, I, I want you to realize something. When we talk about things like mustard gas, which is a really good analogy for WannaCry in 2017, it was something indiscriminately released that harmed civilians and the effects can be felt to this day of that attack. We don't require that hospitals uh, be perfect on their cybersecurity in order to protect themselves versus cyber attacks. We just require in international law that they be clearly marked. Somebody got to paint a big red uh, cross on the top of them. We don't require that civilian installations and places of worship and hospitals be underground and covered in Kevlar and puppies, right? We require only that they are clearly marked and they are, and there's a responsibility for people deploying, creating cyber weapons to note and to screen for those kinds of networks. So is, is there such a thing as a cyber war crime or, or not? This is something we need to work on, in your opinion. I believe that we already have defined war crimes and the fact that we're not calling some of these crimes against civilian populations, hospitals, places of worship. I, I believe the fact that we're not calling these war crimes already just has to do with a lack of political will. Mm. And I'll tell you, there's a lot of political will that hasn't been um, that hasn't been used on the part yet of the activist pulled off the plane. Roman yeah. needs to be set free. And I, as a student pilot, I'll tell you right now, I'm in the middle right now of, of getting my private pilot's license and the plane slacks everywhere are just lit up over this one because the consequences to aviation safety and how we report and handle security in the skies are deeply at risk right at the moment. I'm interested to hear what you have to say. I think you're you're so right about Roman and he's in terrible condition. Apparently he's beaten to the point where he might be in hospital and in critical condition. So we're all hoping that's not the case, but we also know what Putin is capable of. And he literally, I can't believe the extent that he went to you know, hijacking a plane as a state actor. And people will say that it's not him, it's the Belarus president, but it really is Putin. I and mean, there's no ways that the Belarusian leader needed to do this right now on his way out the door. This is Putin's little campaign. It's a little test of the West. It's how far he can push us. You know, how far can he go into Europe and grab people? Just like he did with the spy, uh, escapes my name right now in London. But the, you know, there's, he's been lawless around the world and extending his lawlessness around the world. And uh, what we saw with Roman was just horrific. Boy, we're trying to talk to so many things here. And I want to talk to all of these, but Andrew, let's. Uh, any thoughts on those two things on cyber war crimes and on Roman, and then we'll talk about uh, Donald Trump after that. Uh, with regard to cyber war crimes, you have a professional on here, so I'm just going to yeah. leave <laughs> the thoughts that were already placed out there. There, in terms of the kidnapping by Lukashenko KGB thugs from Belarus, this is just state-sponsored terrorism, and it needs to be treated as such. And I agree with you that Lukashenko, Putin, mini me, even though he's probably twice the size of Putin, essentially wouldn't do something like this unless uh, he had the, the go-ahead. They're thugs. They're mobsters. They're doing what thugs and mobsters do in terms of gaining power, in terms of exerting their power, I should say. And it's, all, it's all the same stuff. It's all about muscle. It's all about intimidation. It's all about threats. Although, frankly, and we've never seen this before. Have we ever yeah. seen a, a hijacking of a commercial plane that's we not even not. attending? It's not even landing in that in that country, and it, you know to scramble a jet on a false pretense of a terror attack. This and the is jet, the first time in aviation yeah. history, yes. Uh, and the it's jet was before. a Russian jet, a Russian fighter jet. And then on top of that, there were four Russian agents on board. You know, so yeah. they they were planning. This was not some accidental. Uh, we see him on board. We're going to we're going to take him. They were following him on board. They had four agents that were on there with him. You know, Putin. 
there's a lot to answer for. And I'm really struggling with any any appeasement right now from the Biden administration or any conversations with Putin. Of course, it's better than the other prospect, which is war. But, you know, the, it certainly is important that we, when we go there, we confront them with the right, uh, with the right message, that this is unacceptable, that we can't have journalists. This is no different than Khashoggi in my mind, because he's in just as rough, in such rough shape, he may not make it. Uh, and he's 26 years old. What does Putin need to go and do with a 26-year-old blogger, basically? And is he really a threat? Is he really a threat to Vladimir Putin? Not at all. Tonight's show is brought to you by Helix Sleep, and they have a special offer for narrative viewers. I've heard it from so many people. The one thing that's changed since January is their sleep. Not waking up worrying about what the president might have done or said or tweeted makes the world of a difference. I don't think I had a good solid night's sleep in four years. And it wasn't only the president. My 10-year-old mattress, which started life as a 12-inch foam mattress, had shrunk to an 8-inch mattress. And getting out of bed was often more of a slide than a bounce. It was time for a new mattress. Helix Sleep has a quiz that takes just two minutes to complete and matches your body type and sleep preferences to the perfect mattress for you. Why would you buy a mattress made for somebody else? Changing the course of a country can take a village. Changing the course of your sleep takes a quiz. Helix is offering up to $200 off all mattress orders and two free pillows for our listeners at helixsleep.com slash narrative. That's the way we spell narrative, N-A-R-A-T-I-V. That's helixsleep.com slash narrative for up to $200 off and two free pillows just for you. Andrew, let's talk a little bit about Trump. Let's talk a little bit about Trump because sure. the implications tonight are that this is, you know, we're heading into an indictment. It all, you know, everyone's getting very excited. Weisselberg's basically going to flip. All those things might be true, but none of those things are true right now, are they? My, my opinion is that I think that any kind of grand jury that Vance may have convened is for much further along than just making the announcement now. Usually when they make these types of announcements, they're not going to wait another six months before something drops. And that's usually what happens. They usually like priming the battlefield, so to speak, like priming the public for, for this kind of thing. And personally, although I don't have any evidence right now, my, my feeling is that there's other grand juries out there currently investigating Trump and his kids. Probably New, right. New York State AG, I'm yeah. sure there may be some federal grand juries out there. Who knows? This you was know, only Silver Lakes. Uh, this was mostly the Silver Lakes investigation or whatever they that probably the, was called. This was, yeah, this was about a mortgage and, and tax fraud. I believe that he would, that, that Vance is, what do you call it, investigating. And in terms of inflating property values and, and some instances and deflating it in others. Vance is not going to put something before a grand jury. And most, uh, the vast majority of district attorneys are not going to put something before a grand jury unless they can, unless they feel that pretty confidently that they're going to get an indictment. So I'd say it is. It looks like it's a very good sign. Do you think they know that Weisselberg has flipped already, or do you think they're just still pushing on that? I think that they. I think it's pretty obvious that he's flipped. I. I, th I don't think it's a question of whether or not he will anymore. Okay. Noel, do you want to jump in? Because we, we lost you for a few minutes. I know. Sorry, my audio went out. I'm fascinated by Andrew and everything he says. He's the expert. So I'm heartened to hear oh, that oh, Weisselberg have flip, has flipped. And Seven Springs is the property's uh, name, yeah. I believe. It's up by me in Katona. And I believe Trump bought it for around $7 million and then put on his assets. He listed it for $180 million oh, wow. 12 years later. And I can assure you there aren't many properties in all of Westchester that are worth $180 million. To give anybody an idea of how cartoonishly 
like false that is, like yeah. a statement. It's just beyond belief, and it's totally Trumpian. It's totally the kind of thing he would do in his arrogance, thinking he would get away with it. You could see making it 21 million, 30 million. He did it like to a ridiculous amount, and that's Trump. You know, and hopefully it ca it's finally caught up with him. I wonder if anyone's thought about the tax investigation the New York Times did, you know, where they found that he didn't really, didn't declare very much of his apprentice earnings. I think that was the big investigation there. And that might play a piece of this too, right? I mean, he never declared a lot of those, of a lot of that revenue. Andrew? Yeah, and certainly. That, that certainly can play a part of it as well. It depends on what taxing authority. Obviously, the IRS is going to be involved with that. But, you know, what state is going to be involved with that? I'm assuming that's New York State. Tish James could be investigating that. I'm sure she's investigating a number of different things right now. You know, she wouldn't have made the announcement she made earlier this week, I believe, that, or, or maybe it was the weekend, that she she's also opened a criminal investigation against uh, the Trump organization. And that usually, when, when you have something like that, you usually hold the, the top people there criminally liable for wrongdoing. So that would be the Trump kids and, and Trump possibly himself. I'm putting it down as a he's he's going to get indicted based on this prediction. Don't yeah. I hope you're right. And by the way, just so you know, just keep track of everyone. Noel said he wasn't going to be. Well, he's going to be indicted, but not going to jail. I'm, I'm the comedian, though, I'm so I'm allowed to be wrong. <laughs> hey, Andrew, thanks so much for dropping in. I appreciate it. Such late notice. I appreciate you just dropping back on such short notice. Thank you. Oh, it's my pleasure. All right. We'll have you back on. Soon. It was really nice to meet you, Andrew. Pleasure meeting you as well, Tara. I'm going to follow you. On Twitter. It's, it's a really good idea. Not, it's, good, it's a good follow. Oh, God. <laughs> we need to have a conversation. <laughs> Words mean things again, people. Words do mean things. Oh, wait a minute. That's not fair. I cut him off right there. Oh, wait. Is it? <laughs> Andrew is the, the funniest lawyer you will ever meet. Dude. Yeah, he's, a, he's also one of the best Smartest, uh, civil yeah. rights lawyers around. I can't get him back on because I actually screwed up that picture here. I'm going to say goodnight, Andrew, and we'll be back. Uh, we'll, we'll catch up on that conversation later. Let's get back to where we were, Tara, about the, the cyber war crimes. And I'm so fascinated by the fact that our government has been so tepid and other governments have been so tepid in approaching these things as war crimes. Every country, every Western country in the world has been paying millions of dollars to these ransomware gangs. They'd rather do that than it seems than go down to declaring these war crimes. There's a problem with that, and it's something I'm actually in the middle of writing a piece on it at the moment. One of the reasons that I'm angry about these kinds of ransomware payments right at the moment, and yet still think that companies should be permitted to pay them, is because they're tax deductible. Oh, really? Your tax dollars are going to, absolutely <laughs> they are. They are a necessary and ordinary business expense is the tax classification for paying off a ransomware attack in a nation state level attack. So just in case you wanted to be mad about something else today, I'm here to help you out. Uh, I mean, so that does make me kind of mad. That's going to Does it make to you mad? That a gang in Russia dollars? is getting all this money? Yep. Yes, it makes me, makes yes, me mad. Yes, $4.4 million for yeah. the Colonial Pipeline. That is a tax-deductible payment. Yeah. So the problem that we have here is that is we're fortunate to know about the Colonial Pipeline attack. But there are a lot of other companies that have made these kinds of payments that have never reported it publicly. And when I say reported it publicly, either to their shareholders or to the federal government. They have to report it in, on term, in terms of their taxes, whatever is private or between them and the IRS. That's not a public announcement, and that's still tax deductible. So the problem we have here is that companies are the front line in these kinds of cyber attacks. And as a result, we have devolved our responsibility as a nation for doing war 
on to Microsoft and Google and Amazon and, and companies you've never heard of before because all they do is run 25 contracts for critical infrastructure for the electric grid in the Southwest. When we've got these kinds of, of contracts, uh, when we've got this, this incentive to pay and stay quiet, you know what you get is more ransomware. So what we need to do is disincentivize these kinds of payments. Now, I don't have a problem with companies having needing to pay ransomware payments. I don't. If you're running critical infrastructure and you are keeping people alive or the power on or please the air conditioner going this summer, please mm. <laughs> keep, keep doing what you need to do to fulfill you your responsibilities. But there needs to be a, a, a knock on to that, which is that we need transparency as a society, as a government, as the IRS, as the federal government, and as the people who are part of this industry industry, we need to know how bad this problem is. And the only way that happens is with transparency. If it's going to be tax deductible, I say we need to know about it. Absolutely. There you I, go. go ahead. Well, it's an excellent point. And just think about like how much corruption it would open itself up to if it became commonplace for companies to start paying this. And we didn't know about it. You'd have employees inside cutting a deal with a hacker, oh, hypothetically, oh, yeah. saying, I'll give you yeah, the password. It's not hypothetical. Okay. Yeah. yeah, exactly. It's not That's hypothetical. Where, this, right. this, these incentives have been here for the last twenty years. This is this tax deductibility has been there all along. Right. Isn't that what happened to yeah. SolarWinds at the end of the day? Didn't they happen to have yeah. uh, an inside person? That was the, at least what was suspected that there was someone on the inside that made made created right. a vulnerability well, well, there. We'll, well, I'll hold judgment on that one. That one is appropriately attributed yeah. to Russia. This right. solar winds, that, or what we're calling sunburst now, that's appropriately attributed to okay. Russia. And that's after As months, in the GRU months. or the state acting body of As Russia. As in the SVU. SVU, okay. Yeah, SVR. Sorry, SVR. See, this is the problem. I was reading too much CNN about that little girl that fought off that bad guy and Mariska Hargitay was like super cool about it. And now I've got SVU in my head instead of SVR. I, so yeah, this is what happens, happens when you mix cybersecurity and pop culture in your brain. You shouldn't do uh, it. So Don't it was SVR. It. Yeah. Stick, stick with uh, so yeah, it's, it's, it's appropriately attributed, but we don't know. Um, and I can't assert yet about what was or was not an inside job there. What I can tell you is that the there were indications that security at SolarWinds was not all it should be. The right. CE, the former CEO had blamed an intern for the fact that one of their production servers in 2018 was found to have a password of SolarWinds123. Now, that's terrible, but what's terrible is not that the intern had, had set the password to SolarWinds123. What was an intern doing with access to a production server without supervision? And that is an indication to anybody, anyone like me who has an evil mind but good intentions that there might be security problems in a company like that one. You should have said definitely gone with uh, you know solar winds one two three four at least it is extra, extra <laughs> digit would have been helpful there that that attack worries me the most of all the things that keeps me up at night is it, what do they have a hold of in terms of the American government's infrastructure and and the network and it seems like they got access to everything what the kind of access, agency yeah. yeah what does what can they do with that access. So there's a lot of there's a lot of disturbing elements to this. That hack is one of the more devastating ones that that I can imagine at the moment. There's a lot of showier, flashier ones. The Colonial Pipeline, for all that it called attention to a lot of issues in cybersecurity in critical infrastructure, it actually wasn't that don't don't shoot me for this one. It wasn't that bad. This was Colonial shutting off their billing system because they couldn't figure out how to get paid for people taking oil. It's right. not like someone came and, and chainsawed through the pipeline for right. what if it was physical and not virtual. Right. The SolarWinds attack is a lot more like the 2014 OPM hack, the Office of Personnel Management hack, in which hundreds of thousands of Americans who had filled out a form SF-86, that's for a top secret clearance in the U.S. government, had their information stolen by the Chinese. 
And that is incredibly unfortunate because this is leverage over people. This is your affairs, your gambling habits, your credit, the time you shoplifted when you were a kid. Like that was purged from my record. I'm good. <laughs> but when, when we're talking about this kind of hack, we're talking about the kind of embarrassing hack that is like the Sony hack of 2014 as well. The Sony hack in 2014, done by North Korea as a as retribution for the James Franco, Seth Rogen. I'm going to say Horrible it was movie. really funny. No, it, it was funny. It is kind of funny. You had to be in a certain state of mind yeah. in order to really appreciate <laughs> it. But that it was a critique of Kim Jong-un. Yeah. And so this was a, a, a retaliatory attack. If if North Korea had done $100 million worth of damage to an airfield in Texas or a mine in Appalachia, we would have no problem calling that a war crime or a nation state level attack. So we've got to we got to go and understand what's really devastating here and losing this kind of information about how our government communicates. That's much more devastating than a single company with a problem with billing, honestly. And we know that new that North Korea, Russia, probably China do, does this kind of stuff a lot. Does the American government do this kind of stuff, or does the British government do this kind of stuff, or Canadians who, uh, you know? Two responses. It, yeah, I certainly hope so. And gosh, that, that's shameful. We shouldn't yeah, be doing that. We should. Um, and that's because this is the game. This is geopolitics. Mm -hmm. We're doing it. They're doing it. Everybody's doing it. I certainly hope we are not committing cyber war crimes and shutting right. down hospitals. At least 83, that it's time to establish a direct contact with Donald Trump. An insurrection, an attempted overthrow of the federal government. Accidental leak, non-intentional, of a laboratory that was doing research on these viruses. Instead, our presidents went to work chasing the next billion dollar deal. The concealment of child abuse, but they did. We have a really interesting show. The narrative is made possible by viewers like you. Join at patreon.com forward slash narrative.